your word. Just how important is your word? What I mean by that is the words that we choose to use. Something that has fallen out of normal speech is a phrase, I give you my word. It was when a man was putting his integrity on the line and by giving his word, his integrity would be judged by whether or not he gave or kept his word. So how important are the words that we choose, the spoken words? Let's look at a couple of examples. First, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God speaks creation into existence. Example being, let there be light, and there was light. There's one exception in Genesis chapter 1 that's pretty interesting. It's on the sixth day creation. It says in, chapter, in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and cover every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the one exception out of the six days of creation, which it doesn't say that he spoke it into existence. It then goes on to verse 27, which is pulled out separately. It's indented on both sides. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. This is not the same plural example that we see in verse 26, where it says, Let us make man in our image. There's something very different happening there. And it goes on and gives us a little bit more of a clue in verse 28. And it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's something different here that is happening than when God speaks things into existence. There's a plurality versus the other five days of creation. And when <coughs> excuse me, the word subdue is used, <coughs> if you look up the word subdue in its etymology, you will understand this appears to be what takes place <coughs> in chapter 6 of Genesis. But we do see the same speaking into existence happen in Genesis chapter 2 when he's talking about the creation of Adam. Now this is important because it's on what day this happens. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, These are the generations of, heaven, of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. What day was that? Well, that's before they even get into day 1. It's Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what we're talking about right now in chapter 2. It continues in verse 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man 
of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Here again we're seeing something we saw consistent with the first five days of creation, because speech is the sound that is made when you exhale your breath. What we're seeing with the creation of Adam is God exhaling the breath of life into the man that he created and formed from the dust. It's a very different version than what we see on day six of creation from Genesis chapter one. But the point I'm making is, <coughs> excuse me, the importance of speaking. What God did was he spoke creation. The words being used are critical, extremely important. Like we see in Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the beginning was, or excuse me, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The spoken word is significant. What does it mean to us and for us in how we live? If you go to Matthew chapter 12, just turning there real quick. And if you start in verse 33, I'm going to read through 33 through 37, just four verses. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. How important are the words that we use? Well, on the day of judgment, we will be given, we will have to give an account for every careless word we speak. And for our words we will be justified, and by our words we will be condemned. Our words are important. It's time that we start really thinking about what we are saying. And then again, if you go to Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 16, again, this is Jesus teaching us. And Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? <coughs> Excuse me. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? So this was in context, read the whole thing, I ask you, but the scribes and Pharisees were bothering them because they didn't wash their hands before they ate. That's what the context of this is. I'll continue at verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. 
but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What comes out of your mouth? Your words. But also, let's look quick at defile. <coughs> D is the prefix that means to remove. And a file has a couple of different meanings if you look at the etymology, but it seems to primarily have to do with a sorting paperwork, like a file cabinet. You could even think about it like if people are getting in a line, they are standing in a single file line. It's an order. But like a file cabinet keeps documents and papers in order. To defile something would be to take it, to remove it from the file. I think of that as the book of life. If we defile the words that come out of our mouth, if they defile us, it removes us from the book of life. And even the word life and file are interesting because all you have to do is take the F and the L and re rearrange them. So put the L where the F is and the F where the L is and you can go from file to life. So if you defile yourself, you're taking yourself out of the book of life. But if you are in the file, you have life. So that is why there seems to be an assault on language. The duality created by writing the words and applying the spell of spelling and the curse of cursive through the magic wand or the pen or the pencil of the scribes through the twisting of the Pharisees. You may have heard it said that the pen is mightier than the sword, the magic wand to re rearrange the language. It changes people's thoughts and minds. It is mightier than the sword because it can defile you if you don't pay attention to the words that you're using. But I pointed out the scribes. Those are the ones that wrote things down. Jesus often refers to woe to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's always, the scribes and the Pharisees are frequently coming to try and condemn Jesus or catch him in some kind of trap. But what is a Pharisee? If you look at the etymology of Pharisee, this is from abarampublications.com, it says they are an expounder, divider, a scientist. Persian school. Think of what's happening the last two years and people trusting in science. There's a change in the process of science versus the scientific method versus what we have now, which is so much of it's based on theoretical science. It seems to be coming out of what here is listed as Persian school. Also in there, in the etymology, it says, to split and divide. It certainly does that. But going back to the Persian, it's also what we've talked about before. Henry Kissinger talking about the Third World War will start off by going against Persia because the Persians are the balance of global hegemony. It's interesting how this all comes together. But as we're talking through this, how can we see this applied? Well, one, we can see it in the multiple use of the same spoken word, but with different spellings. 
Secondly, we can see it in the difference between the meaning and definition. Mean is a great example, and it also reviews the main idea of this whole podcast. So let's start with the word mean. What does mean mean? To summarize, it is our thoughts. If you look at the etymology of mean, it's what we are thinking, and when we are speaking, we're trying to convey what we mean to somebody else. So what mean is, is to say are actually our thoughts and the truth. The problem comes in when people have been convinced that if they say what they mean, then they are considered mean. But that is a complete twisting of the word mean. Added to this would be phrases like brutally honest. There is no brutality in being honest. There is simply being honest or lying. But to not be seen by society as being mean, people will code the truth via a code of definition. Again, looking at the breakdown of the word, it is de-removing. The fine, define the quality of the language. And it's the duality is enacted. It's the changing of the meaning into a definition. It is not fully being honest or completely changing the meaning of a word through definition and spelling. And now we find ourselves in what has been called a post-truth era. Wiki describes describe is an interesting word because it's de-removing the scribe. <laughs> to describe something you're trying to actually share the meaning, taking it off the paper. But anyway, Wiki describes it as and references the Oxford Dictionary. You can look up post-truth era if you like. The Oxford Dictionary, which named it the word of the year in 2016, it says it is defined, interestingly enough, as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotional and personal belief. Post-truth era is, or post-truth is often used as an adjective for a distinctive kind of politics, called post-truth politics. So basically, they're going away from the truth, applying to emotion of people, and we see this most often, at least in the reference from Wiki and Oxford in politics. Understanding, again, what is politics? Politics is the science, goes back to Pharisee, of government. Government being to govern, which is to control and meant mind. It is the science of mind control through not paying attention to the truth, but to emotions. I've had a thought for a while that when Jesus says, be perfect as your Father is perfect, I'm paraphrasing, he's referring to have control over your emotions. Because when you look at the description of God, he is slow to anger. 
He has control over his emotions and he is just because he's not emotionally controlled. He's controlled by the truth. And that's guy, that guides his functioning toward us, which I know I am greatly thankful for, that he is patient and slow to anger. He is in charge of his emotions. But also what we are seeing in the world, and I've talked about this a number of times because it seems to be bubbling up again, especially with what's been happening the last two years, but what's been on the back burner that people haven't been paying as much attention to are the stirrings that seem to be starting and the precipice for war. We talked for a while this spring about the Ukraine. That's heating up again. It looks like things were just being put in place. Now Algeria and Morocco are on the map as another hot spot in what we've been seeing for a long time now with Taiwan. What will eventually happen, we don't know. But there's a reason that they've applied this whole thing and called it the China virus. But I want to point out something of, when you see how this is said by a man named Herman Goering, you can see how this post-truth era of politics is really coming to the forefront and working through the populations of the world. Now, if you're not sure who Herman Goering is, I'd ask you to look him up. But he was a very important, prominent member of the Nazi party in Nazi Germany. He was basically the number two in control or command behind Hitler. But this is what he says. This is very important to understand. Quote, Why, of course, the people don't want war. Why should some poor slob on a farm want to risk his life in a war when the best he can get out of it is to come back to his farm in one piece? Naturally, the common people don't want war, neither in Russia nor in England, nor for that matter in Germany. That is understood. But after all, it is the leaders of a country who determine the policy, and it is simply a, a it is always a simple matter to drag the people along, whether it is a democracy or fascist dictatorship, or a parliament or a communist dictatorship. Voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the peacemakers for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same in any in any country, end of quote. Think of the narrative that we are hearing in the media today. It's constantly, there's going to be an attack. It's a matter of national security. And even if you get down to a certain virus, it is vaxxed versus unvaxxed. One is trying to attack the other. According to Herman Goering, this is a very simple matter. What we see throughout history, and you can see it in society today, he's right. All you have to do is convince people that they're being attacked and denounce the peacemakers 
for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. But then again, we can go back to what does Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers. But the words that are being used are used for a very particular reason. And those that are leading the country, so to speak, know why they're using the words and what words they're choosing. It's very important to their narrative. So it's very important for you also to know the words that they're choosing. Be wise as serpents, but be innocent as doves. Know what they're doing, but don't do it yourself. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, because the words you choose are vitally important. To the point where we will be let me get the specific words. The day of judgment will give an account for excuse me, I tell you, on the day of judgment people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Godspeed.